The Money Show. Other people's money. The stuff you learn about somebody you've known for an awfully long time when you do a little bit of research into them is most interesting. I've been rubbing my hands with glee today. I've always known Hilary Joffe, who is columnist and editor-at-large at Business Day, as a journalist. That's what I thought she was born as. I thought she was. She came out of the womb and she was a journalist immediately, but she's worked as a consultant. She's worked as a senior economist. She's worked as a lecturer in sociology, because that was your degree. No, your degree was economics. Advits, I think, Hilary Joffe. Hello. Hi, Bruce. Um, yes, initially economics and then sociology. So I did teach sociology, but my degree originally was in economics. Um, and you got a master's from Oxford University in the United Kingdom too. Nochal. I mean, that's a, 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 a very big achievement. Did you go and sit physically in Oxford studying your master's or did you do it remotely in those days? What was the, what was the deal? I don't think it was possible to do anything remotely in those days. I absolutely did go and sit there, Bruce. I learned punting down the river, though I never mastered the, the art. Um, I learned uh, quite a lot of drinking, I'd have to admit, and how to dress up a lot for drinking in formal black tie. I learned to converse with all sorts of people in different disciplines um, and from different backgrounds. And it was, it was really it was a privilege, I have to say, uh, and, and a rather wonderful and- two years. Absolutely. But that, I mean, that master's degree has stood you in such good stead in terms of operating at the very highest levels of corporate South Africa as a journalist as well, I suppose, over the years, because there really shouldn't be anybody who, you know, could intimidate you. <laughs> that's, that's the theory, Bruce. That is the theory. But yes, there's some very amazing and intimidating people around. And I suppose one of the wonderful things about being a journalist is you get to meet them and to interview them. Well, what got you into journalism, though? I mean, here you are, as, uh, as you train as an economist, you then do sociology. You're a lecturer in sociology in the 1980s. At some point, you become a senior economist at Standard Bank, which was like as close to a real job as anybody can get. When was that? I was going to say, the way it, it was a rather checkered career. And I suppose one of the reasons for that, Bruce, is that journalism is, I'm, I'm like a home pigeon. I leave every few years because I think I'm going to get a real job. And then I, then I end up returning. So I've done quite a lot of things, but I've always come home to journalism. Um, what got me into it was actually student. Well, in fact, even, even at school, I was involved in the school paper. But I was a student journalist. I edited what was then the student. I don't know what the Witt student newspaper is called now. Um, and I'm still in touch with, you know, some of the people I worked with on that newspaper. And I then um, thought I would do a master's at Oxford, but I was looking for a job, you know, to while away the time in between. And I didn't want to do the cadet course, which is the way you got into journalism in those days, which took three years because I was on my way to do a very kind of serious academic master's degree. So I managed to get myself a job temporarily in the sports department as a sub-editor. Now, if you can even imagine that, Bruce, I, had, I used to have to phone my uncle because I didn't know the difference between a birdie and a bogey and eagle, which I think are golf terms. This you can confirm. It, it was an experience. And I then had a, a stint on the Financial Mail, um, which was, I suppose, my real first financial journalism job. 
did a master's, went into academia and ended up back in journalism. The, the, the senior economist bit at Standard Bank, where did that fit into that fruit salad? That was also kind of going to look for a real job. Look, Bruce, <laughs> this is the money show, and, 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 and I did wonder why you asked me, because I was going to say, you know, journalists don't earn actual money. They, we do it for love, if you exactly. didn't know that. But, um, and, and, and it does mean that periodically some of us have, have kind of looked at the mortgage and thought, we better get a job that pays some money. Um, and uh, so I did, for a time, work at, at Standard Bank. Before my children were born, um, and okay. but, but then left after. Yeah. Okay. Now I I, I, I was you know, used to uh, in the in the olden days of going to the golf uh, Nedbank Golf at Sun City, and your sons would be around. And of course, then um, they're, they're big monstrous men nowadays. They've grown up a lot. But you've been a, a feature of South African journalism and a household name in terms of business journalism for an awfully long time, which is why you're here. There was also a, a brief stint. Um, at ESCOM, you did what Sikurati Manchancha has done, and you left journalism for the lure of communicating strategy on behalf of a of a state-owned enterprise. How many hours into the job did you realize it was a terrible idea? Oh, I knew that before I went. Um, <laughs> look, <wait. laughs> look, I have to say, Bruce, it was the most grueling thing and stressful that I've ever done my life okay. in my life. But it also was the most challenging and amazing and interesting time. And uh, sadly, I think it was just that very short stretch of time um, before state capture really got hold of Eskom. And you, you um, were there during Brian uh, Darmus's tenure, correct? Correct, yes. I'd been writing a lot about Eskom. I'd even actually received a research fellowship to do some in-depth research on the 2008 power crisis, which was the first big power crisis. And when Brian Darmus was appointed chief exec, the, one of the first things he did is he had a big strategy session for what was then, I think, the top 60 uh, in, in, in the organization. And he invited various outside people in to tell them what they thought about Eskom. And he invited me in from the media to say what we thought about Eskom. And, you know, it was along the lines of, you don't tell us anything and what you do tell us we don't pretty much trust. Um, and he then came to me straight after that and he said, would you come work for me? And it was, I knew it was going to be um, a challenge, but equally it was, it was a, a, a real chance to make a difference. And I think we actually really did turn... Um, Eskom's communications around in quite an important way. And I don't take credit for this on my own. I would give it absolutely to Brian Darmus and, and his team. And I think all we did, if you like, is we just responded. We picked up the phone when you phoned, when anybody phoned, which meant mm. a lot of time spending, spending a lot of time talking to a lot of journalists and explaining. And we started the, what, the state of the system briefing on a regular basis so that we'd have a platform to communicate even if nothing was happening. And we, we just um, instituted a lot more regular habits of transparency and communication. We started at, at one point, I think it was a daily uh, email, a press release on the state of the system, which, uh, so I, I think that was, that was the, the stance that we took. And I do hope that it has stood Eskom in good stead since then. And I do feel that, you know, whatever goes wrong and however bad it's been, certainly now, um, I think, the country has come to expect a lot of transparency from Eskom and whether 
they do it well or they do it badly. Um, Sikhanati does pick up the phone, as, as I did. And I cannot tell you how many people in the last couple of weeks have said, you must be glad you're not Sikhanati. And I do. I have spoken to him and I have expressed, expressed my solidarity. It's it's an astonishing, it's the most visible role in South Africa at the moment, non sort of non uh, executive role, if you like, um, in the country. Um, Andre de Reiter is the boss and Jan Oberholz is the chief operating officer and that's fine and the president's the president. But here you are, you're the voice of an organization and I mean, you must be, uh, I suppose, somewhat gobsmacked at the fact that it has actually deteriorated to the extent that it has because it is considerably worse off as a as in its performance capability um, than it was even in the time that you were there, which is around 2012-ish um, then, r- roughly around then? 2010 to 2013. And um, you might remember that that uh, short, not long after that, Brian Darmus himself uh, was pretty much forced to resign and already we yeah. had lost uh, the finance director. And in that very short period after he and I left, uh, well, first of all, they started load shedding for more or less before he was out the door. And also a lot of people left, a lot of senior people and layers and layers of senior people have left since then. I do think, I think there are a lot of policy and political issues which have really bedeviled Eskom, not least of which is state capture and the enormous damage which it did. But when I look at Eskom now, the, the performance of the, Generation fleet is pretty shocking. It's actually hard to believe it is that bad. And I know the power stations are um, very old and that they have been very poorly maintained. But, and I completely, um, totally, as we all do agree, that you need to get new power onto the grid very fast and very soon. And government should long ago have been much firmer about that. But at best, if we now get a whole bunch of new power on, that's a 2024 solution. And the more immediate solution is to fix the operating performance of of ESCOM as it is now. And it's old and creaky and cranky. You describe it as shocking, if only it was. Um, that would suggest that there was some power going through the system, I suppose. Um, Hilary, I mean, through all of these various weird and wonderful career changes, and you, you are like the journalism boomerang, as uh, I will describe you. Um, you. You go out, you you spread your wings, you um, hopefully earn a little bit of money, and then you come back in again uh, into the fold in journalism. Um, you've been back in journalism now as, I think, deputy editor and editor-at-large of Business Day for, what, most of the last decade, I think? Um, pretty much on and off, and, and I spent a little time at Business Times, which was also, which was a, which was another form of journalism. I actually started on weeklies, and so I still have quite a soft spot for weekly journalism. But yes, I've come back to Business Day too many times to remember, and I still think it's a, it's a great platform. I think quite under-resourced, and yeah. um, I think that it needs some rebuilding. I would hope that its its proprietors do put some resources into good quality journalism because that's really what we're about. It is the journal of record. I mean, the, the, uh, of that there is no doubt, and it's a critical voice in the in terms of of business and of of covering the world of business. And it's um, yeah, it does definitely 
need those resources. Your resources in terms of a, an on-again, off-again, um, rehabilitated um, spokesperson, uh, economics lecturer, uh, economics senior economist, uh, sociology lecturer. Um, have you, over these many, many years, covering business and working within business and working within a bank and working within ESCOM, uh, sort of been, been disciplined about the way in which you've managed the, the Joffe finances? Bruce, I would have to say not a hundred percent. I'm saying you're a real journalist about these things Good. than I am at doing them. Yes. Um, look, I, 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 I really came from the kind of background. My, my dad. Um, I remember him saying probably more than once, um, "You must do what you love." And ideally, do what can make a difference. And if you happen to make some money, that's also good. So that was kind of the attitude that we were brought up with, and and it's a it's an important value to have that you know that you don't just do what you do for money. Um, and I suppose he was decades before his time because now everyone is lots of people are looking for purpose and um, so on, but. In a way, it was a luxury you could have if you came from as comfortable a background as I came from. I Let's talk about that back. Let's talk about that background in a moment. We're talking this evening to Hilary Joffe. Um, this week, a columnist and editor-at-large at Business Day. Next week, I can't be sure. But anyway, Hilary Joffe, with a, a fascinating patchwork of a career of a multiple disciplines, and we're talking about money and her money in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. Journalist Hilary Joffe, our guest this evening. A comfortable upbringing, Hilary. What did mom and dad do back in the day when they were giving you choices as to, you know, have a purpose, make a difference in the world? Dad is an engineer, and he was the son of an engineer, which was pretty unusual in, in the Jewish immigrant community that, that I come from. Uh, that they came from. My mother was a social worker. In fact, there was quite a long tradition in my family of um, of educating women and um, taking women seriously as as career women as well as family, the homemakers, if you like. Um, so yes, I, I I wouldn't put them among the wealthy, but they certainly were, were were comfortable and could afford to educate their children and encourage their children to do what they loved and. Um, I do think that is that is really a luxury to have, and and I'm very glad that that we were brought up with sort of such strong values. I do recognise, especially as I get older, a couple of things. First of all, that not everybody has that luxury, yeah. um, and and especially in in this country of such high inequality and unemployment, and and you can't expect that people will not need to earn a lot of money. And of course, as, as one gets sort of late stage career, you realize that, well, maybe you shouldn't have spent your life in low paid jobs, which weren't going to earn you any money and build any assets. Um, so yes, I did start saving probably too late, but um, I did. And I have been relatively disciplined, but uh, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I do own my own house and, inherit enough to pay off the bond and and all of that and I think that many people do not have that luxury um, when they when they can do something that makes a difference I think that's that's fabulous but I yeah. think we need to acknowledge in some of these low paid professions of which journalism is one uh, that there's a real problem with uh, 
with hiring and retaining people and keeping them in in journalism because many really can't afford to to stay. And I no, think abso- absolutely, I mean, the, the level of how one might support that, yeah. You know, the level of churn is terrifying in journalism. I mean, it, you know, it used to be, a, I think, you know, in the olden days, I think it was a, a marvelous career of long lunches and, and, and good pension plans and all sorts of other things. But, I mean, those days, uh, I think, died long before the internet came along. Those days sort of were gone by the 80s, probably. Yes, the the days of the long corporate lunch are indeed long gone. And the days when newspapers, especially financial newspapers such as Business Day, really thrived on lots of adverts and so on, are also long gone. And I think newspapers or media sort of built that were built on print have really um, struggled to find a new model which will earn them revenue in the face of challenges from social media and online media. And so it's really been quite a transition for the media. I'm sure it will come right in the end. But in the meantime, I think certainly in South Africa, a lot of media houses have been under a lot of pressure and it has shown in the kind of amount of cost cutting they've had to do. And um, you get what you pay for. So, you know, business people will quite often complain about the quality of financial, financial and economic journalism but I wish they would sort of think about investing in journalism, at least by, the, by, by way of advertising, to make it commercially more viable to run quality media, whether they be in print or online. And that is a great point at which to leave it. Hilary Joffe, thank you. Uh, lovely to catch up. Columnist and editor-at-large at Business Day, Hilary Joffe this evening. Other people's money.